You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. The verse today is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8. through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kendall. Um, the Jurassics and the Bernards, are, they have a, they're one of the new groups, community groups that have started. And uh, so if you're looking for a community group and don't know where to start, you can start with them and uh, learn who they are and and get to know them. Uh, This was the first Sunday in a long time that I got to sing. Uh, My voice and coughing and asthma and all that stuff has has kept me um, from singing, so it was really good to join you on singing today. Usually I'm over there feeling it, mouthing it, praying it, but I want to save my voice, so today I got to sing. Um, we're going we're gonna to pray and, uh, um, and come to the Lord again and ask the Lord to teach us from the words that we just read. Heavenly Father, we just sang this and we just prayed this together in song. We, we ask you, Lord, to, to show us and to teach us and to help us live the life that you called us to live, to not be intimidated by it, but to move into each and every day with faith that you give us, that we would understand what and what our role is and how to fulfill that. And at the end of each and every day, come back to you with open hands, open hearts to say thank you for everything that you've supplied for us. So supply us now with understanding and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a question. Um, question is this. Are we where God wants us to be? And by that, I don't mean are we in the right city or the right job or the right place in life, circumstance. No, I, what I mean by that is are we spiritually, relationally with God? Are we in the right place? Are we in the place that God wants us to be? And we should be asking that question a lot. It is a loaded question. It's, I can't think of a more important question to ask that other than that. I mean, think about it this way. We want to know, are we where our teachers want us to be when it's report card time, right? We want to know, are we where our parents want us to be when it comes time to give us an allowance? Are we, we want to know, are we where our employers want us to be when it comes time for annual review or evaluations? We want to we wanna know if we're in the good standing, or if we're doing the right things, if we're meeting expectations. We want to know if we're, we are where the coach wants us to be when it's time for the coach to fill out that lineup card for the day. Are we meeting 
those expectations? Are we, are we doing what those authority figures expect of us? And so the question is the same. Are we where God wants us to be? Well, we are beginning, we have begun Second Peter. We began this second letter of Peter's, this final letter of Peter's with, with a huge amount of weighty answers to that question. And that's what we've been looking at. We, we see where God wants us. We've looked at that a couple weeks ago. And then today what we're gonna do is we're gonna see how we get to where God wants us to be. But we need to recap a little first in case you've slept since then or if you were not here, we see, turn with me to 2 Peter if, you, if you're not already there. We see in 2 Peter pretty clearly these words. Let's just start Verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence. So we see there he's called us to something. What's that? He's called us to his glory and his excellency. Verse four, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. For this very reason, we see make every effort to supplement your faith. And we see the reading that Kendall read earlier today. But what I love about this text, it's very clear. Verse three says, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. We don't have to ask anymore. God, what do you require of us? He requires life and he requires godliness. When we look at these and we think about these, we say, yeah, life, yeah, I want life. I, I want that abundant life. I want eternal life. Yes, I'll sign up for that. Where do I sign? What do I gotta do? I gotta be, bad. okay, what do I gotta give up? What do, yeah, give me life, give me heaven, give me all that God has that's good. But this other word, life and godliness, we wonder, is there any wiggle room there? Godliness? We say things without saying it. We, we live out sort of the, the response this way. Uh, God, I'll give you godliness the best I can. I, I'll give you godliness in comparison to the people around me. I'll, I'll be more godly than this person or I'll be, my family will be more godly than this family. And perhaps we've even given in to the notion of, well, God, I'll give you godliness relative to 2022. I mean, it's different today than it was when Peter wrote this letter. So I'm not gonna, we're not gonna be able, able to be as godly as he's calling for here, but in 2022 standards, I'll do my best. Is that enough, God? Is, is there a wiggle room there? Well, you can wait and ask him that or we can look at his word and see here, just like the employer, just like the parent, just like the coach, the teacher, they, they have expectations and requirements and we have these expectations given to us for life and godliness. As we continue to recap where we've been already, 
where's wonderful news for us. We have wonderful news in this. He expects life and godliness, but what we see in this text in verse three, he has given us everything we need to be the people he expects us to be. He's given us everything we need to become the people that he wants us to become, to meet the very expectations he has for us. His divine power has given us everything required for this. This is good news. So what was it he gave to us? What has he given to us? Well, it all sums up in the gift of God himself. First of all, in Christ. Verses three, we see it here. It's referred to his divine powers, given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. And then we see that. So we see Christ, first of all, has given us his life. He's given us who he is. He laid down his life so that we could have life. We see here that he has given us not only life, but he's given us his very promises, his words, instructions that help us. This is all recap from where we've been. So much so that if we recall several years ago, we went through and we preached through the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember how Jesus sums up his own sermon, he gives sort of the, the illustration or the metaphor of if the person who hears these words of mine, Matthew 7, the person who hears these words, I gave you words, I've given you my life, I'm giving you these words, the person who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Storms come and great is the storm and great is the house and it doesn't blow away. This is the gift, one of the gifts that Christ has given us. He's given us his life. He's given us these promises. He shows us in his words how to build well. He's given us the blueprint, the plan for life, the plan for abundant life, the plan for godliness. Here's my words. I'm speaking them to Not only am I giving you my life, I'm giving you the very words on how to build your life. His promises, his plans, but we also see in this text back in 2 Peter, it says he's given us his divine power. This is hard for us to really grasp and get a hold of. But we see here that he has expectations for us. Life and godliness. We have this good news that he's given us life, he's given us promises, and he's given us his power. He provides all that we need. He's given everything that's important for us so that we can start to work. He's provided for us so that we can build rightly. The Christian life, one commentator says, is not lived to the honor of God without effort. Even though God has poured his divine power into the believer, the Christian himself is required to make very, I mean, to make every disciplined effort alongside of what God has already done. Did you catch that? The Christian is required to make 
every disciplined effort to work alongside what God has already done for us. In this text, the Kindle read that we're looking at today, says we are to supplement our faith, these certain character qualities. We are to add to our faith. We are to take the faith that is given to us as, as if God said, okay, here's this gift, life. Now here's the building blocks that you must now take and start to build on. As we look at that metaphor from Jesus about building on solid ground, I want us to look at these qualities in 2 Peter and actually see these character qualities as building blocks. And what I want us to do, I want us to look at them one by one as Peter presents what we are to do. And then I want us to close our time looking at how we are to build that way. How do we do it? So let's look at these character qualities brick by brick or block by block or quality by quality. Block number one, okay? You ready for this? This is where it begins. Actually, it begins with faith. We add with faith. Block number one, this is what we start building, is the block of virtue. How many times this week have you actually used the word virtue? Virtue, we see it as it's written here in this text. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. What does that mean? Virtue is a term that was most often used in the Greco-Roman circles that referred to the moral, intellectual, ethical, and even physical excellence. Many used it to refer to that God-given ability to perform heroic deeds. Virtue is the pursuit of and the commitment to living with such honor and such justice in your life that you're pursuing excellence in everything. The virtuous life is the opposite of the lazy life. The virtuous life is the one that says, I'm gonna take what I've been given and I'm gonna make the most of it. I'm gonna give my life to it. I'm gonna go for excellence in all things. It's to live life to the highest degree of excellence, to commit to that without compromise. We add to the faith given to us virtue, the pursuit of excellence. I'm gonna take this faith and not be lazy with it. I'm gonna take this faith and not just go, well, whoo, got my fire insurance card back here. I remember signing that. I remember getting dunked when I was a kid and good, ready to go. No, 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 no. You add to the faith given to you by God a life that says, you know what? I'm gonna wake up this day. I'm gonna go hard for God. I'm gonna go hard for growth. I'm gonna go hard to honor others. I'm gonna live this life and not waste it. We add to the faith the block, building block of virtue. Second building block we see here is knowledge. Supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, with knowledge. This refers to the relational knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just about knowing, it's not, not really just knowing about Jesus, but actually following him as a learner of him. To know Jesus as his follower and to be growing as a disciple, to know his place of authority and to 
know his way of life and to pursue it. It's not just having a book smart so that you can argue with people. It's not pursuing knowledge just so you can study in your, in your, and then know how to fire back to people on social media. No, this is a knowledge of he's given me faith. So the virtuous life wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go and learn more about Jesus. What would Jesus do here? How did he do this? What is it that he can teach me this about this? What? Give me more of Jesus. We add to faith a life of virtue. We add to virtue a passionate pursuit of knowledge of Christ. In fact, Peter's last words that we have in this last letter that he wrote in chapter three, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of what? Of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and into the day of eternity, amen. That's a virtuous life that wants to pursue knowledge more and more in Christ. What do we add to virtue? What do we add to knowledge? We have the building block number three, and that's self-control. Greek philosophers considered self-control to be actually one of the most important keys to virtue. To live a virtuous life means you got to exercise some self-control. Self-control is the restraining of our emotions, our impulses, our desires. It's the, it's the refraining from certain behaviors. This makes sense, right? You think of the Christian life, you think, a lot of people think the Christian life is, okay, that means i got to say no to all of these things. To choose Christ to go this way means I'm, I'm going to say no to all these other things. I'm going to exercise some sort of self-control. Usually when we think of the Christian living, it's usually a thought process of a life choice of saying no to this and yes to him. But it's more to that. Even though back then Greek philosophers and many people considered this to be one of the more important keys to virtue, in our day, the building block of self-control is rarely celebrated. It just isn't. Social media and the ability to put our emotions out there whenever we want to, to take in whatever we want to, to watch whatever we want to. There's so much flooding in our minds, so much flooding out of our mouths. And we all, in the name of freedom that's given to us in our country, we forget that the virtuous person who's pursuing knowledge of Christ noticed and saw in Christ that Jesus didn't just do all these things that everybody's doing. He exercised self-control. From 2016 to now, the time that I've been pastoring this church, as, as a pastor and keeping in touch with what's going on in the country and all over the world, it just saddens me at what little self-control that people who proclaim to follow Jesus have had. So many overreactions, so many indulgences, so many just drinking in everything and spewing out everything. Self-control, here's the, I think one of the keys here. Self-control must be built on the knowledge of Christ. It must be built on the knowledge of Christ virtuously. 
because just acquiring the knowledge of justices or injustices doesn't help you with self-control. The knowledge of culture won't help you exercise self-control. Becoming woke doesn't build self-control individuals. Knowledge of history, good history, right history doesn't even build self-control. No, the virtuous Christian life of life and godliness is a life that pursues self-control based on the knowledge of who Christ is and find satisfaction in that. That is able to say, no matter what happens with any election, no matter what happens with any thing that's going on in the streets, no matter what's printed, no matter what's spewed out there, no matter what's talked about, the life of godliness says, in Christ alone will I glory. That produces the self-control that honors Christ, the knowledge of Christ. So, I'm not saying we shouldn't know the culture. I'm not saying we shouldn't know about injustice. I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue and gain knowledge in these things. But do you give yourself only to that knowledge? Are you also pursuing knowledge of Christ? We got the building block of virtue, the building block of knowledge of Christ, the building block of self-control. And we see next that we are to... um, Self-control, build with that with endurance. Building block number four. This is the capacity of holding up, bearing up, fighting for, decisively fighting the good fight and winning the race. He's called us to win regardless of the circumstances around us. The building block of endurance is the one that says, no matter what comes my way today, a man of virtue who's loving Christ, who's exercising self-control is going to push through no matter what comes my way. The building block of endurance. We know what perseverance and steadfastness and endurance means. This leads to the building block of godliness. So knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness. What comes to your mind when you hear that word? Godliness. If God's called us to a life and the life of godliness, we think of purity. We think of pursuit of holiness, a, a detachment from worldliness. It doesn't come if we're not enduring, exercising self-control, pursuing the knowledge of Christ. Which leads to building block number six, brotherly affection. This is a kindness for one another in the family of God. Brotherly affection is is sort of the, the idea that we're not holding back, but we're gladly giving ourselves to one another. We want to serve one another. We want to help one another. We want to protect one another. We want to care for one another. Obviously, that means and it requires, if you know me, a lot of patience with one another. If you know the person sitting behind you or around you in the pew, it requires a lot of patience, a lot of affection for them to endure their weaknesses and their shortcomings. The building block 
of this kind of kindness is so unique and so rare that it leads to the next building block of love. But here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, about this kind of brotherly affection. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I love how all those come together. What is one of the things that has affected us or hurt us from being united in mind or sympathetic to one another? Hasn't it been sometimes the lack of humility in our thinking? Thinking that we're better than someone? Think we're better or smarter than somebody sitting over here or across the table over here? The lack of a humble mind? So we add to the faith virtue, the knowledge and self-control, endurance, godliness, and this kind of kindness of humility to one another that leads to a word that was foreign to a lot of people, agape, love. We read throughout the scriptures and throughout history that not only will they know us by our love, but it was unusual for people to see and notice how the Christian brothers and sisters were treating one another. Yesterday, I found myself listening to a couple different podcasts of self-professed Christians that were just talking about the downfall of all these churches. And I'm hearing this, these negative expressions and this pastor did this and this, these elders did this and here's where they failed and here's where they fell. And I'm just like, there was just a lacking of kindness that was being swallowed up with sort of this egotistical reporting. And I want to say, well, of, of course we're going to fail one another. We don't even live for Christ every day. We're definitely going to find it hard to live for one another every day. It requires this unusual type of love. So let's read it again. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, Knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are the blocks that are given to us by a generous Savior, they are for us to build on solid ground, to grow godliness, and to have the life that he expects us to have. This is what we are to do, to supplement our faith. Now let's look at how we are to do this. First of all, we should never get over the fact that we are invited to come to our designer of our life. We need to come to the one who has given us faith. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. He's given to us our faith. We must come to Christ and his promises. One commentator says about this, God has been diligently at work within us. Now, we must diligently work together with him. 
That's, that's faith. It's trusting him. Saving faith means we are submitting to him, his plans for our life, his plans for creation, his way to salvation, his process, his care, his oversight in our life. So saving faith is giving into him and saying, you're it. There's nothing better. I want your plan. I want your ways. And saving faith comes to us as a gift from God so that we can't boast. It's a gift from him. So if you're here and you want to start these building blocks, you want the life that God wants, you want to make sure that on, at the end of your day you have lived the life that God's called you to live. Begin, first of all, just by coming to God and saying, thank you for the faith that you give to me. And if you don't have that faith, come to the Lord today, right now. You are invited. Say, God, please give me this faith to trust you, to give you my life. Come to the designer of your life. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is said that he is the author and the perfecter of what? Your faith. Come to the author, to the writer of your life story and say, oh God, convince me of your story for my life. Give me faith in you. Help me to trust you. But it does say, number two, we come to him, but then we make every effort to supplement, to add to our faith. To supplement means to provide at one's own expense. Pursuing growth and holiness requires an investment of our time, of our resources, and our energy. One commentator says, it must not be approached casually, but requires Christians to make every effort to see these qualities produced in our lives. This expression communicates intentionality. It communicates passion and diligence. He goes on to say, one does not drift into greater measures of Christ's likeness. And what he means by that is we don't just wake up and go, oh, I'm holy today. Oh, I'm totally, completely living the godly life. Oh, I'm, I'm fully loving everybody. No, it's intentional, making every effort, empowered by the Spirit, we come to the designer, but we say, I'm gonna make every effort to add to the faith that's the gift these building blocks laid out for me. We must commit to it. We see this in scriptures, don't we? Let's just look at two people. We're gonna look at Peter, who's writing this, and we look at the story of the rich young ruler. You know the story? Guy who had so much wealth, had had a life that lived an ethical life. He came to Jesus because Jesus was really famous at the time and he was like, I need to get in on this. And so he came and says, well, what do I need to do to have the life that you're promising? And so Jesus said, well, and I'm paraphrasing all this for time's sake. He said, you know the laws, you know what you should be doing. And, and the, the, the rich guy said back to him, I not only know them, I, I've done them. Like my report card is A plus. Like it's, it's, I check out. I've got the stars on the banner. And Jesus replies, says, well, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. It says that the rich guy went away sad, for he had great wealth. He was willing to make a lot of effort, 
but he wasn't willing to make every effort. He went away sad. He thought he was living the life of virtue, but he was only living the life of godliness compared to some other people. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. You're not, you, you, you want to make all this effort, but you're not making every effort. Then we look at Peter, who writes these words to us, who dropped his career, dropped the nets so that he would follow Jesus. We know Peter made a lot of mistakes, right? Right? Okay, we know that. But he still was making every effort to come back to Christ, to go Christ, to follow him virtuously. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. It is a commitment to make every effort to toiling. So Jason, why are you doing this? Well, because I think so many times in our day and age, we think that the Christian life is just supposed to be this nice, sweet, kumbaya, everybody's supposed to be perfect. No, there is a, there's a toiling. There's a, we got to, the virtuous life says, I'm going to make every effort. We come to the designer, we make every effort to supplement, but we add these supplements one at a time. That's the emphasis there in this third thing. We add them one at a time. This is important. Notice the order here, and I think it's significant. Did you notice that in this list that Peter gives us, love is last? I think it's funny. I think it's kind of ironic. In a day when those outside the fellowship of Christ judge, critique the church for not being loving, Christians should love. Christians should follow Christ because Jesus was all about love. And what about love? Yes, all of that's true. But here's the thing. To love like Jesus requires the pursuit of virtue like Jesus. The pursuit of excellence in his life like Jesus. Not to, to waste your days like Jesus. But it's, it requires the knowledge of the holy. Yeah, Jesus knew the expectations of the Father. He knew the requirements of the majesty and the holiness of God. It requires self-control like Jesus. Jesus' restraint from other things is what impresses a lot of people about who Jesus is. He was able to restrain himself from overreacting here and here and here. It requires the endurance that Jesus modeled. Not just the endurance where it says quite clearly endured the cross, that's one thing, but he endured ridicule, he, he endured taunting, and, and here's one thing, he endured the behavior and the silliness of the disciples. We sometimes can't even endure the people in our community group. Jesus is the model of endurance, godliness, brotherly affection. Yes, Jesus gave up everything he had to die for us. That's the kindness to lay down your life for another. Yes, Jesus was loving. This should help us think about Christian love appropriate when we look at it in this order. 
I think a few things, friends, we need to remember is we should not be so shocked when we notice a lack of love within the church. Doesn't it shock us? Somehow we're still shocked by it. Yeah, they're just not a loving church. They're just not that loving. You know, they're not, well, we shouldn't be so shocked that they're not loving when we've never really seen brotherly affection and kindness within the church. When we have people within the church who are saying, you know what, I'm not gonna give of myself to that person. I'm not gonna covenant with one another. I'm not gonna do these promises. I'm not gonna give my life to one another. No, I'm holding out here. I'm doing this. They need to approach me where I am. That, that's not this kindness. They, why would we expect to see love when we're not enduring attacks from the media? Oh, the government said this, and that's against the church, and I'm mad. How do you expect to see love when we can't even endure attacks from people we don't even know? Why would we think the church would be loving when we lack self-control, both privately and publicly? Why would we think that we would be a loving people when we're not growing in depth of knowledge of who Jesus Christ is personally? And why would we think that we would be loving people if we wake up every day and we're not committed to just living a life of virtue and excellence in our communities? Building blocks that build up to love. We should almost kind of be ashamed that we think we could just jump over all the other blocks and arrive at a loving person. We should not try to take shortcuts to appear loving because appearing loving is fake and it's false and it's what causes people to get their feelings hurt because they realize you only love me as sort of a quid pro quo superficial, you felt good about me coming to your group or you felt good about me sitting on your pew or giving to your offering. That's why you loved me. We shouldn't think that we could just jump over these other blocks and arrive at being a loving husband, a loving pastor, a loving deacon, or a loving wife or child. When we lack the other building blocks, it's sort of a bit of arrogance. So we must supplement one at a time these things. We wake up tomorrow and just look at virtue. God, show me, am I virtuous? Am I living a life of virtue? And pursue that. Then add to the virtue. Oh God, am I, am I pursuing more and deeper knowledge of Christ or am I just wanting to know more about Jason <laughs> or the way the church works or politics or, no, are you pursuing Christ? And then just add to these things. Ask him which is the fourth thing we can do. We come to him as the designer of our plans. We commit to make every effort. We begin adding blocks one at a time and then we just keep coming back to the supplier. That's so important. One block at a time. You may say, Jason, what if I run out? What if I feel depleted? What if I can't endure? What if I realize I don't, I'm not gonna have that kind of kindness that, I need to build next, that next thing. Does that mean I'll never be loving? No. 
you, you come to Jesus who says to you, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I have all the power to begin this work in you, have all the power to sustain this work in you, have all the power to grow this work in you. It starts with faith in me and it, it verse eight saying it's gonna increase in measure. I like, I like pictures and so I picture he gives us faith and then we add to the faith virtue and then knowledge and then endurance and self-control and kindness and then we notice this love and we think, oh no, I can't take anymore. Then guess what? He gives us even more. We go back around and everything just keeps growing and growing in our life. God has provided his plan for your life, life and godliness. He's provided us with his wonderful promises, his words to build with. And God is providing you every day his power to do what he requires you to do. Now, if we come to the gym class and the coach says on the opening day of gym or athletics, whatever you want to call it, in order to pass my physical education class, each of you will need to run the mile within 10 minutes. Okay? Now, I don't know if you run it in six minutes. Good for you. Um, I don't know if you run it in 15 minutes, whatever. It's a requirement for everybody. 10 minutes. The end of the semester. The coach will say, if he's a good coach, everything we do from this day to that day is to help you win on that day. You're gonna do push-ups, you're gonna do sprints, you're gonna do conditioning, you're gonna, you're gonna be disciplined and you're gonna be building these blocks in your life to accomplish my expectations. Every good teacher does that, every good coach, employer, boss, whatever requirement is, we're gonna give you the resources to meet that requirement. If we as fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our heavenly father, who has all the power, all the wisdom, all the strength, know how to give you everything you need for virtue and knowledge and endurance and self-control and kindness and love. He is our hope. He is ready to save. He is ready to provide. We come to him and say, Jesus, you're better. Jesus, you're the beginning. Jesus, you're the building block. Jesus, you're the cornerstone from everything we're building. Jesus, everything I am is building on you, growing in you because of you and the knowledge of you. So how do we do this? Come to Jesus all the time, every day, with an open life that says, I am yours. Do in me, build in me who you want me to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the gift of Christ. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for all of these building blocks that we that we must add, that you modeled for us. You are. Jesus, we need you. 
Jesus, I love you. Right now, I'm, I'm even trying to picture a life without you, and I, I can't. I don't want to. If there's anyone, Lord, in this room, Holy Spirit, would you please draw them to Jesus to believe and to hope in Christ, that they would call to Christ even now. Even say the word, save me, give me this faith. Wherever we are in these building blocks in our life, Lord, help us. There's someone struggling with self-control. Give them, pour into them knowledge of Christ. Give them virtue. Help them to endure. Someone struggling with being kind and loving one another. Help them, show them the good of giving of themselves to someone else in this church body. That we might love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves.